Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Welcome back to the program once again, and thank you for joining us on this week's program. Man, we were in such a rush last week to kind of try to force everything in that I thought I would come back and and deal with this just a little bit further because I think this is some really vital information that I'm sharing concerning Romans the 13th chapter. And as you know, if you've been following us, we have been filming for some months now the book of Romans, and we are now in chapter 13. We are in the, if you will, horizontal outworking of what the grace and gospel message can produce in our lives. And Paul starts dealing with some practical issues, which is stuff sometimes that I don't get a lot of time to deal with when I'm traveling, but I am thankful for this platform to be able to share these things. Let me just say very quickly, if you've missed any of these programs, you can go to our YouTube channel and you can watch them on demand, or you can listen to the audio portions on our podcast or on your Android device, there is an RSS feed. The easiest way to do that is simply to go to my website at lynnhouse.com, and in the upper right-hand corner, there are icons that will take you directly to those outlets. Let me get back into the Word, uh, though, uh, today as we follow this program. We're in chapter 13. We're talking about governing authorities. We're talking about the outworking of this grace. We're talking about what, we're not talking about our vertical relationship with God. That was in the prior chapters. We're talking about our horizontal relationships with people and how what we have with God in our life plays out this way. And it says, let me just read, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For the rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be afraid? Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers, attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor is due. And he goes on to say here, uh, Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves one another has fulfilled the law. I may get to that, and I may not, but I want to come back here and talk to you about the spheres of government that God set as boundaries with legal authority to operate. And when I was studying this, I put in my notes that there are four spheres of government that God has ordained. Without any government, all you have is chaos. And a chaos is a result of no order. So God sets order in things so that there's not chaos in our lives, chaos in our government, chaos in our world. We need governing authorities that govern in the spheres in which they have uh, been given authority to operate, and we need godly governing in all of these spheres. The very first one is self-government. The second one is the home and family. 
The third form of government is the local church, and the fourth is the civil government. Each one of these have perimeters and boundaries of authority that many times get abused, many times because we lack in one area or the other, it creates a vacuum, or we overstep our authority or our bounds. And I'm just going to read some stuff from my notes and again begin to make some comments. And I read some of this last week, but I want to make sure I do it again and have enough time to comment on some of the things. I was rushing it last week, and I want to come back and get this. I put in my notes, if you want God's power and authority, you must define the scope and limits of that authority. Jesus delegates His authority through different administrations. The different parts of His kingdom carry different assignments. It is only when we stay within these particular assignments that we carry legitimate authority. I want to say that to you. there, There is legitimate authority that comes from God, and when we operate within the sphere of that legitimate authority, God backs us up. I call that spheres of, of, of authority. For instance, if you are a parent, you have authority over your children, not mine. If I try to take authority over your children, I'm operating outside of the designated authority that God has given me to operate in. I'm outside of my assignment. That becomes abusive. And when we stay within these particular assignments, we carry legitimate authority. Uh, you are in authority of your home, and your finances, and you are not in authority of your neighbor's finances at home. God backs up your authority in this legitimate sphere. You have more power and authority than anyone else in this sphere. For better or for worse, God has appointed you as His representative in this sphere. That's why I think it's important for parents to speak over their children, to speak into their lives. My kids are in their 40s, and I still have a voice They don't have to listen to me because I don't have the same authority as I did when they were in my home, but I still have a voice. And uh, but my my authority is limited to they're they're the they're they're the sovereign of their house, and I don't violate that, and I don't try to straighten somebody else's family out. I can counsel, I can give advice, I can minister as a minister, but I have to stay within the sphere of my authority. I don't have cho- I don't have the authority to spank your children. In other words, thank God, and you don't have authority to spank mine, or whatever that is. Uh, but, but it goes on. Let me just go ahead and read some more. This said, God backs up your authority in this legitimate sphere. You have more power and authority than anyone else in this sphere, for better or for worse. God has appointed you His representative in this sphere. You are the head of your house, if you are the if you are the uh, the husband or the man of the house, you are the head of your household. God gives you authority. Whenever you are standing in this place, you are the most you are the most important person there. Others may be smarter and more gifted, but you're the appointed one. This is a huge responsibility. If you're a pastor, or a parent, or a business owner, or a mayor, God backs up legitimate authority. I told you there's two different Greek words for power in the, in the New Testament. One is exousia, which means legal right and authority, and the other is dunamis, dynamic, dynamo, dynamite power. You don't need dynamo power if you don't have exousia. You don't need the dynamite if you don't have the authority to use it. And that's why I believe sometimes we need to understand even the different things as far as pastoring and leadership goes, government goes, you're the most important person there, and sometimes you may not be the smartest or the most talented, but you're still the guy in charge. And I think we need to understand that and respect that authority. 
However, if you try to ex- ex- exercise authority in someone else's sphere, then you are no longer legitimate authority. You cannot expect God to back you up. Remember, legitimate authority is given only by God. For instance, we must obey God rather than men, and Paul testified to that when he stood before some of the guys who were forbidding them to preach the gospel, because the Bible gave them legitimate authority to have the keys of the kingdom, while the government only has the legitimate authority to have the sword. So when we get those two mixed up is when we get in trouble, and we're going to see that if I can get far enough here today. Each time we get out of that sphere or influence is when we have horrific and, and, and stuff down through history of casualties to people who move outside of the sphere of influence that God gave you authority. So if you try to exercise authority in some place outside your sphere, it's not legitimate. You cannot expect God to back you up. Remember, legitimate authority is given only by God. For instance, we must obey God rather than men. Now that's why it, uh, when the government tries to intrude into church roles, they don't have any legitimate authority to operate inside the church. Now in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 and 15, Paul's sphere of influence was that he was over the church at Corinth, not the church of Jerusalem. The sphere of influence over the church at Jerusalem was Peter, James, and John. Paul was an apostle to the Gentiles. Just because you've got apostle in your car don't mean you're my apostle. You might be somebody's apostle, and then I'm afraid that I've met an awful lot of them had it on their card. It wasn't an apostle over anybody. They didn't have any legitimate God-given authority. Therefore, God didn't back up their authority. But I believe that there are places where people... And let me say this to you as well about authority. I think authority is not something that I take over the churches that I govern or that I take over people. It is something that's given to me out of a mutual respect for a track record that's proven that I have their best interest in mind. In other words, even the authority in my home doesn't become because I'm dominating or threatening or that I I, I try to resort to using the sword or, if you will, coercive power in my home. It comes because I've earned the respect of my wife and my children to know that I've got their best interest in mind, and therefore I've got some legitimate authority here. And so when you start to function within those roles and spheres, then and you start to realize that even honor, honor is not something you take for yourself. I've seen preachers, man, it was nothing more than a parade of flesh. I don't ever require anybody to even call me by a title. If you don't want to give respect, then uh, I can't take it. You can, uh, uh, you know, just because you put something on your card, don't. And I think it's easier sometimes to give honor and respect to somebody who's not trying to get it from you, because sometimes that's just a narcissistic personality that's trying to dominate over people. Well, there's so many different dimensions of this. Uh, so, you know, Paul began to say that he was the, an apostle of the church at Corinth, not the per- apostle of the, uh, of the Jerusalem church. By understanding our sphere, it frees us from being the world's sheriff or judging another man's servant. We must be confident in our assignments. I mean, the Scripture says that we don't, you know, uh, we're not judges of another man's servant, whether he rises or whether he falls. And so the source of, of that authority, of course, is Romans 13 and verse 1, and in John chapter 19, verse 11, all authority is to be derived from God, and all, uh, and all are accountable to Him. There is a grace given for every assignment. You can see Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 for that. All authority is delegated. Therefore, we must not exceed the limits of that authority or use it opposed to the Word of God 
or we become rogue tyrants, then God opposes us. Say, give me a scripture for that. James chapter 4, verse 6, he resists the proud, but he gives more grace to the humble. In other words, when we start to move outside of authority and become rogue in our, we become tyrants, then God resists the proud. Then you, you get in opposition to God. God steps in. God has assigned certain responsibilities to each of these four spheres. The individual, the family, the church, and the government. That's the difference between the sword and the keys. He gives in this chapter, Romans 13, the authority of the civil governments to use the sword, to have police, to raise military armies. And to the church, he tells Peter, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. When we mess those up, we get in trouble. God has assigned certain responsibilities and authority to each of the above four spheres. A man must be able to rule his own spirit through the power of the Holy Spirit. It is heaven's government for the individual. In counseling, you cannot fix someone else. You can only fix or help fix the person that's in front of you. It stops the blame the spouse game. In other words, you can't uh, go in there and talk about it's my spouse's problem. I mean, you could certainly mention that, but the truth of it is, is the only person that can really be changed is the one that's come there and said, I need help myself. How can I respond to this? Righteousness, peace, and joy are released on this level individually. Proper balance must be used in the other three spheres. God gives grace to be effective when they operate in in the God-given boundaries, and boundaries are important. The problem comes when we refuse to take responsibility for the area God has given us. This is often the case in families, absent fathers and absent mothers, or when one of the spheres attempts to overstep or trespass on what is a not their assignment. This is typically civil government or church authority abuse. I've seen a lot of church authority abuse where the church tried to overstep boundaries. I've seen churches that tell them, you just need to divorce that bum, or you need to go, you know, I just think, you know, sometimes that we're trying to govern every aspect of people's lives to the point where, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, you, 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 I've seen where people literally turned their finances over, decisions over to the churches. They couldn't get married without the apostles' approval or prophets' approval. See, that's, that's to me, that's an abuse of power. I read a book back sometimes, I forget the title of it now, but it was about spiritual abuse. And I thought, man, there's a whole lot of that stuff that goes on. And especially some of the circles where it's heavy-handed governing, where men are taking authority rather than receiving authority. Well, I mean, there's a lot of rabbits we could chase here. Number three is the church and state, or that I guess this is the fourth one. How can we know what areas of, of life God has assigned to each human agents of this government? There are two distinct spheres in the earth, the church and the civil government. The Christian family is the smallest unit of the church. The church is the largest expression of the church family. The Bible gives us the instruction for dividing up the different areas of responsibilities. Romans 3, verses 3 4, through 4 tells us the sword has been given to the civil government, its responsibility is coercive power. Perhaps this is why Paul turned the man in Corinthians over to Satan. This is where I ended up having to really rush last week. In that setting where Paul turned the man over to Satan, I think sometimes that, that where I first started thinking differently about this, or the possibility that Satan here in 1 Corinthians may not be the devil, is that there are places, especially in the Old Testament, where the word Satan is used, 
where it's not talking about Diablos, the devil. It's talking about an adversary or adversity. And there is one place where the angel of the Lord that God sent became a Satan. And you'll see a couple of places where in one place it says, and the Lord moved David to number, and then another place it says Satan moved him. And in other words, there was adversity, and sometimes adversity is not Diablos. Maybe in this case, what he's saying, let's turn this man over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, is let's move. We have no authority to use the sword in the church, so we have to turn this man over to Satan in the sense of adversity or the adversary, which in this case could have been civil government. That's just, I'm not making that a doctrine. I'm simply saying that's a possibility. Because I think there are times in the church where I don't have the authority to uh, lock somebody up, for instance, who's sexually abusing their children. But I do have the ability to say, that's not my jurisdiction of authority, but the civil government has, and we may have to turn them over to that Satan, and, and when I, the first thing that made me even really think about this was back whenever we went to war in Iraq, and they said that the Iraqis called the United States the great Satan. And I thought, wait a minute, the great Satan, they're not calling us the devil, they're calling us the great adversary. And sometimes I think what happens is, is that uh, we have to turn people over to uh, civil authorities. I think that's a last resort. I think it's when it fails, number one, each one of these governments only come into play when you failed, first of all, to individually govern yourself, and then secondly, the family has failed to do that, and then thirdly, the church has failed to do it because you evidently have not submitted to that authority. And then, last but not least, the coercive power, the power of the sword to execute judgment and terror to those who are evildoers so that they learn not to, to do these things. I think that's very possible what Paul was talking about here, uh, because he tells them in this context in Romans 12, verse 19 through 21, he says, never take your own revenge or vengeance. He said, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. This verse is for the church and not the state. He's telling you the church does not take vengeance. The church does not take vengeance. That's why it's justice even in the systems of our world is because it's not necessarily vengeance. It's justice. There's a real difference between vengeance and justice. And so uh, I think that justice has to be served in some places. This verse is not for the church. Uh, this, this, this verse is for the church and not the state. I'm sorry. That we cannot execute vengeance. This does not mean that a Christian cannot be a soldier or a policeman. He must simply understand the difference in his roles, so that he, when he's in a police uniform, he's not the pastor anymore. He's operating with the authority of the government that has given him authority. And are you seeing the boundaries? I hope this is helping you understand spheres of influence. Jesus told Peter to put away his sword in Matthew 26, verse 52, because he didn't give them authority to use the sword but he did give the civil government. And I know there's a debate right now, and I'm just sorry I'm not on board with it, that, that there's never any reason for violence or coercion, but I'm going to tell you, I'm thankful that we've got a police force, and I'm thankful that we've got a military that protect us. Now, I think when we encroach on other people's authority, we're in bad shape, and we've, we've overstepped our boundaries and our authorities, and God's not behind that. But I think when we operate within the sphere of the influence and authority God's given us, then we have power there. The darkest hours of church history, listen to this, is when we don't respect these boundaries. And the church took up the sword. 
You can see that in the Inquisitions and the, Crusade, and the Crusades. Islam has no problem to take up the sword and as such becomes fanatical or fanaticized and people become violent there. The greatest horrors of the 21st or the, the greatest horrors of the 20th century have been by political leaders trying to use the sword to create the good society or heaven on earth through military and political power from Adolf Hitler to create the Third Reich to Lenin and Stalin's attempt in the Soviet Union to create a workman's paradise. Think about that. These men used the sword to try to force it. When you think about the Crusades, the Inquisitions, and uh, others like Mao Tse and Fidel Castro joined in this delusion, the church in Europe had the king as the head of the church and forced tithing and church attendance, and many atrocities came as a result of the church being able to weld the sword. That's why the pilgrims came to America. These out-of-order governments have killed more of their own people than all the wars combined. I was thinking about this the other day because I'm really looking for answers. Because I think the church sometimes is overstepping its boundaries. I believe we need to be the salt and the light and the keys to the kingdom, and we need to be involved in political things and be the influence. But let's say this. Let's say we vote who we want in the White House, and every politician in the White House. And then we can legislate what we want and our belief system on them, and the church is now running the government. What we don't realize is we don't study church history and realize the church has already run the government, and it ended in atrocities because it was forced stuff. That, that's, not, that's not legitimate authority. But what happens is, is when you are in those spheres that you are supposed to be in, God gives real authority. But let's say that we do that. We, we vote in there who we want, and we think, well, this is the one that, that uh, we could, now we get to pass the laws. The church is running the government. Here's what I've asked everywhere I've been going lately. Which church do you want to run it? Do you want the Catholics to run it? Do you want the Pentecostal holiness to run it? Do you want the Baptists to run it? And you know what will happen? We'd soon find out that we don't even want the church really governing us individually. We want to be able to be free to be able to make some decisions ourselves. So when the church uses coercive power and they pick up the sword to try to enforce their versions, then what happens is, is it brings atrocities. And the first thing you know, there's bloodshed. We should learn from history that there are borders and there are, there are boundaries. And each of the above, the church was banned by the state and the state took on all in each of the above, the church was banned by the state, and the state took on the role reserved only for the church. The results in both are unimaginable horrors. This is especially true when unregenerate people come into power. When the church seizes, when, when the church seizes power not assigned to it, or robs the family, or, or the church, what has been given to them by God, they become a thief. It may exercise power, but not authority. It then becomes illegitimate in its source, and God will therefore oppose it. It is a righteous thing with God to recompense trouble to them that trouble you, is what the book of Corinthians says. For example, one can steal a child, but not the paternity of that child. One can steal power, but not authority. It's the difference between exousia and dunamis, both Greek words for power and legal authority. The founding fathers founded this nation as students of the Bible. 
And you can see that on the Liberty Bell. Their writings reveal a heavy dependence on a worldview of the Bible. In fact, they quote from it and allude to it more than any other book. In the Constitution and the amendments, they strictly limit the growth and reach of the government. That is why they establish the balance of powers, the judicial branch, uh, the courts, the executive branch, and the legislative branch in balance one against each other. Even Moses did this. It was Moses, the patriarchs, and the Levitical priesthood. They were all separate in their function. And we can see down through even the Bible where when, when I believe it was Saul waited, refused to wait for Samuel, he entered into doing something that was not his jurisdiction, and God opposed him for it and, and, and rejected him as king. He became an illegitimate authority because he overstepped the boundaries of those powers. I, I think that our forefathers had some pretty wise stuff. Uh, and, and, and I go, went on to put in here that uh, it, it, that the First Amendment was uh, the con- it, 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 that they were the first of all they were separated into these three powers: the judicial branch, the executive branch, and the legislative branch. Perhaps their concern was more clearly seen in the very First Amendment, which limits the incursion of the government into areas reserved for just for the church. Congress shall pass no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting. See, they understood this. Congress shall pass no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. The First Amendment was not written to limit the church. Listen to me. It was written to limit the government. The real danger is it has coercive power and continues to overreach. It is correct that the church and the state should remain separate, each in its proper role, just like the branches of government. The government has an appetite to replace God, just like Caesar did. Perhaps this encroachment has occurred because of an escape mentality and the failure of the church to make known to principalities and powers the manifold wisdom of God, because we failed to have the keys and speak to principalities and powers. And principalities and powers are not always demonic spirits. They're the governing authorities. Each entity does well when it stays within its boundaries. For instance, the government used to, it gets good marks when it's in, mil, in respect to its military, its police, its waste and measures, its fair trade, its infrastructure with roads and highways, etc. But does horrible when you produce, per, like with, if welfare programs or urban areas or education or the penal system fails to rehabilitate and repeat offenders return to jail. The only successful programs are led by the church, Teen Challenge, Life for Drugs, Team Hope, uh, you know, celebrate recovery, home schools. If you send your child to public school, you're still responsible to teach them at home. And I'm not saying everybody ought to have a Christian school, but you're still responsible to teach your children at home and take them to Sunday school and teach them morals. Homelessness and feeding and all that kind of stuff, the, the government fails miserably at. The gospel, though, is the power of God to salvation, and a return to the kingdom of God is a must in this hour because that's where the powers have to be. I still have a little bit I have to cover in Romans chapter 13, but I trust this has blessed you and that you are receiving from this as we see the authority and how it operates on a horizontal level. Uh, if you'd like to sow a seed into the ministry to help us to stay on the air, please go to my website. Right there you can see a link or you can scan that QR code and you can, it'll take you directly to a place where you can give an offering via credit card or PayPal through our PayPal portal. You can also send a check or money order to the address on the screen, or you can call the number that will come on the screen. But we do need your help, so do it today. Thank you for joining us. God bless you. Until next week. 
I am excited to announce the release of my latest book titled The Great I Am. In this book, we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. When he uses that phrase, it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought Moses and the law was the door into the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. They thought that Israel was the true vine, but Jesus said to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. As you read the pages of this book, you will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today.